Let's dive in. We're in Matthew chapter 12 today. We're going to be looking at verses 31 and 32. Uh, if you need a Bible, we got Bibles uh, in the back. I've got my notes in the foyer. We want you to take both of those home uh, with you. We want to make sure that you've got God's Word in your hand. As you turn to Matthew 12, let me, let me review, because we, last Sunday we learned about a lie, didn't we? We learned about the big lie that the religious leaders kept spouting off about Jesus. Uh, scribes and the Pharisees, they didn't deny the miracles of Jesus. What'd they do? They simply attributed those lies as, as Satan, right? They attributed God's power through the Holy Spirit to somebody else. And this is what's so sad. They, they told the very people that they were to shepherd a lie about God. It wasn't just anyone. It was that Jesus was either a demon or Satan himself. And we discussed how these religious leaders, <laughs> you know, they just couldn't have been more wrong. How more wrong can you possibly be than that? To call God Satan. It's tragic. It really is tragic. It doesn't matter if it's done out of ignorance or intentionality. It's still tragic. And by the way, I want you to all know that we have the same problem today, don't we? There have always been false teachers and there will always be false teachers. So we as disciples of Jesus, we, we got to be discerning as we listen to preachers preach God's word and the gospel. And look, I know. I know I beat this drum a lot, and it sounds like I, I'm a broken record at times, but I, I really do need to repeat it this morning, because everybody has a microphone, and that microphone will make it into your, your home through television and YouTube and you name it, man, podcast and social media, and we got to be discerning with this stuff. Scripture says we are to be Bereans. Let me give you an example. In the book of Acts, Paul and Silas, they went to the city of Berea, about 40 miles away from Thessalonica. It's just north of Jerusalem. And uh, Acts 17, 11 says this, the Bereans, they received the word with eagerness and they examined the scriptures, how often? Daily. Daily to see if these things were so. So Paul and Silas, they're bringing the gospel. This is new stuff. God is revealing new things. And these guys heard it for the first time. And they, they said, well, we got we to make sure that these guys are teaching scripture. And that's what they did. And I pray that we do the same thing today. I really do. That you're not taking my word for it. But you're examining the scriptures. You, you're, you're immersing yourself in God's word daily. Because when we do turn off the television, when we do dive into God's word, the, script, the Holy Spirit becomes our teacher in scripture. The Holy Spirit, the one who, who wrote this thing, he becomes our teacher. It's just unbelievable. So as you read the word of God through the spirit of God, Reading God's word over and over from cover to cover, right? You're going to see how God's word is better than gold. Amen. Better than refined gold. Better than any treasure you could ever see here on the earth. Well, last week we did see how the scribes and the Pharisees, they committed this grievous sin by telling their congregations that Jesus is the devil. 
And if that wasn't bad enough, today we see how the Pharisees were an inch from committing a far worse sin. So they go from bad to worse. And this sin is so heinous. This sin that we're talking about today is so wicked that Jesus says it's unforgivable. Now, many people don't realize that God's patience does run out. Many people don't understand that Jesus draws a line in the sand regarding forgiveness. Now, look, yes, God is a God of love and he's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. I mean, we swim in an ocean of grace every day. Every breath that we take, guys, is God's grace. And this forgiveness that God has given to us, we don't understand. But as we're going to find out today, there is a limit. There is a time frame for all of these things. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes to this crazy church in Corinth. These guys are messed up. Just like all of us here at River Bible Church today. <laughs> I love it. Paul says, don't receive the grace of God in vain, guys. In other words, don't take God's favor uh, for granted. Don't take the outworking of his goodwill for granted. For God says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. But see, right now, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. So yes, God is infinite, but his offer of salvation is not. There is a divine timeline that we're all on. Um, you know, God is not on our time frame. We're on his. And today is the day of salvation. Now, please know here, these two verses that we're studying this morning, uh, they're not easy to understand at first glance. These verses have been severely misinterpreted, misunderstood, and because of their eternal consequences that are attached to these verses, it is critical to understand these things correctly, and that's what we're going to do today by God's grace. So if you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. If you would lift your voice with me, starting in verse 31, therefore... I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Guys, these are the very words from God this morning. They are authoritative for us, they are inerrant, they are without error, they are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they will never fail us. They are infallible, because it is the Word of God, and that's why we stand to honor the Lord through His Word. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, the psalmist writes, I tremble in awe of you. I fear your judgments. The Father in heaven, many times we, we come to church, we come into the sanctuary, and we're not in all of you. 
Many times we come here and instead of fearing your judgments, we are fearing everything else. We're, we're fearing everything that we can see and we're not fearing the thing and the one that we can't see. Today, we're going to learn the unpardonable, the unforgivable sin. But more so, Lord God, we're going to learn that your son is, is not only the Savior. He's not only our Lord. He is not only the king. He's not only the high priest. But that your son is the judge. And we will be judged by him. Father in heaven, soften our hearts to fear you and to confess our sins when we don't. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 Have a seat, guys. Thank you. All right, I, I know we're going to look at two verses today, uh, but I do want to keep everything in context. So uh, let, let me start in verse 22, and then we'll get to verses 31 and 32. Starting in verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to Jesus Jesus healed this man so that the man could both speak and see. All the crowds were astounded and they said, well, well, time out. Can this be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, no, 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 no. This, this guy drives out demons by Beelzebul. He's the ruler of demons. And knowing their thoughts, don't you love this? Jesus said, Every kingdom divided against itself is, is headed for destruction. And no city, no house divided against itself will stand. Look, guys, if Satan drives out Satan, let's think about this logically. Let's think about this rationally. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How on earth is his kingdom going to stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul... By whom do your sons, by whom do your students, your exorcists, your own exorcists, how do they drive them out? For this reason, they're going to be your judges. And if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, though, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and, and steal his possessions unless he first ties him up? He's got to tie up the strong man. Then, and only then, can he plunder his house. So Jesus says, look, guys, anyone who is not with me on this is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. So we discussed all of that last week, and here we get to verse 31. Jesus says, therefore, therefore, I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit that's, that's not going to be forgiven. So we've got good news this morning and we've got bad news. So let's look at the good news first. Jesus says, therefore, therefore I tell you. Notice here how, how uh, verse 31 is directly linked to the passages before it. Jesus, what he's doing, he's providing a conclusion to this ridiculous accusation from the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus has demonic powers. And his conclusion begins with great news. 
He says, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy. Isn't that good news? Each sin, every sin, any sin, no matter what the category is, any sin, all sins will be forgiven. Amen and amen. So here we see the graciousness, and we also see the patience of the Lord. We, we see His mercy, the overwhelming forgiveness of a holy God on a, on a wretched sinner, all of us. The Apostle Peter, he says this, 2 Peter 3, 9, he says, The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but He is patient with you. He's not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So in other words, Jesus came to save us. He came to save sinners. Back to verse 31. People will be forgiven every sin, every sin and blasphemy. So our first key point, I want to I define some terms here to make sure that we're all on the same page. Sin. What is sin? Sin are our thoughts. Doesn't even have to be an action. It can be just a thought, including actions and behaviors that violate the perfect moral standards of God. A sin are thoughts, actions, and behaviors that violate the perfect moral standards of God. So look, we don't need Jesus as a savior as long as we're perfect. Well, I know I'm not perfect, Dustin, but am I really a sinner? Great. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Do you know how you know that you've sinned? Let's, let's take a look. There, there's, there's this thing called the perfect moral law. It's called the Ten Commandments. I like to say it's the, um, the top ten. It's God's top ten. Let's look at number five. Obey your parents. Were you a perfect child when you grew up? Your mom said? We're going to get to number nine here in a second. <laughs> I just thought about this. Think about growing up with Jesus. Can you imagine Mary going, hey, James, can't you just be a little bit more like Jesus? Can't you just a little bit? No, we, we, we did not obey our parents. So what's that called? It's called sin. It's called disobedience. We are disobedient people. We are sinful people. So we are disobedient. Number eight on God's top ten list is he doesn't want us to steal stuff. He doesn't want us to take things that aren't ours. If we steal something, what are we called? Thieves, right? And it doesn't matter... The value of the thing that you stole, if you just stole a paper clip from work, or maybe you just stole some time from work, we're thieves. But see, guys, we're not just thieves. We got to go back to number five, obeying our parents here. We're disobedient thieves. And then here's number nine. God doesn't want us to lie. Have you ever told a lie? Even a small little white lie. What do you call people who lie? Liars. But we're not just liars, are we? 
We are disobedient, thieving liars. And that's just three out of the top ten. See what I mean? About us being wretched sinners. And I know we can kind of smile about this, but dear friends, please know this is called sin. And it's these actions, it is these thoughts that God had to step down off his throne and die for these sins because there's no hope for us. So even though we've committed these, and they are, they're heinous sins against a holy God. And we haven't just sinned against a holy God, we've sinned against one another, haven't we? Sin impacts everything. We don't know what it looks like to live a life without sin. When we get to heaven, we're just going to go, wow, I had no idea of the heaviness and the wretchedness of my sin. But even though we've done these things, Jesus says that it is possible. Now, it's not automatic, but it is possible for these sins to be forgiven. Please know that God does not wink at sin. There is a way to be forgiven. There is a way to be made right with God. Now, is that hard to believe? Is that too good to be true? Sometimes I think so. But regardless, the the diary of your darkest days, guys, those things can and they will be forgiven through the blood-stained cross and the empty grave of Jesus Christ. It is true. Every sin will be forgiven, but look at this. Every blasphemous word will also be forgiven. Back to verse 31, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy. So what is blasphemy? Well, blasphemy comes in at number three on God's top 10 list. So let me define this for us here. Key point number two, blasphemy is a defiant irreverence for God. It's defiance. How dare you? There's an irreverence that we have for God. Blasphemy didn't start in Jesus' day. Mankind has always been blasphemous towards a holy God. God addresses this during the Exodus. Let me show you, show you this. In Numbers 15:30, the person who acts defiantly blasphemes the Lord. That person is to be cut off from his people. He will certainly be cut off. Why? Because he has despised, look at this, the Lord's word and broken his command. And when you break a command in God's word, what's that called? It's called sin, you bet. And when we are sinners, we we carry this baggage with us. It's called guilt. We are guilty before a holy God. And the only way for our guilt to be relieved, it's not for us trying to please God and doing good works. The only way for God to relieve us of our guilt is to repent and to believe in this gospel that we talk about every week. Our defiant irreverence for God, it works itself out in both words and actions. Isaiah, the prophet, writes this. Isaiah 5.20 Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. 
Woe to those who consider themselves wise and judge themselves clever. See, unfortunately, the scribes and the Pharisees here, they were trying to be clever by calling these miraculous healing powers that Jesus had, they called them demonic or even satanic. So the scribes and the Pharisees, they were defiant because they they attributed to Satan what was accomplished by the power of God. And yet Jesus is so gracious here, isn't he? Look, he's telling the scribes and the Pharisees they can still be forgiven. Verse 31, people will be forgiven. You'll be forgiven every sin and blasphemy. So the good news is that our sins and our defiance and our rebellion can be forgiven. We can be pardoned by God. We can be exempt from the the legal consequences of committing all these sins. And in verse 31, but, circle that word but, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. So here's the bad news. That was the good news. Here's the bad. This statement here in verse 31, it's known as the unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin. So first and foremost, for Jesus to make this statement, think about it. There's got to be something extraordinary about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. I mean, how is it that we can defy the Father and disrespect the Son and still be forgiven, but not so with the Holy Spirit? Now, I want you to think back to last week. When the Pharisees said that Jesus cast out demons by the power of Satan, that, what were they doing? That was a self-conscious, thoughtful, planned It was a willful, and here we go, repeated rejection of God's goodness that was attributed to to Satan. So what'd they do? They, They called good evil and evil good. The scribes and the Pharisees, they they willfully gave credit to an obvious work of God to Satan. So blaspheming the Holy Spirit, being intentionally defiant, and being intentionally irreverent to God, this goes way beyond simple doubt and and unbelief here. Because these religious leaders, they refuse to believe, yes, but they also intentionally slandered Jesus and defamed his character. So the key to understanding this passage is that the Pharisees, they didn't know what they were doing. It was a sin of ignorance. Sins of ignorance, though, pretty severe. They're still forgivable. We see a couple examples of this. When Jesus was being murdered on a cross, Luke 23, 34, Jesus says, imagine this. Jesus has been on a cross for hours. He's gasping for air. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The apostle Peter, right? The guy with a foot-shaped mouth. Pete, he blasphemed Jesus by taking God's name in vain while Jesus was on trial. Mark's gospel says, Peter started to, he started to curse. (laughs) He started to swear. He says, I don't know this man that you're talking about. The apostle Paul, this guy persecuted the church. He blasphemed God before he was saved by God's grace. And he, he tells the story in 1 Timothy Timothy is his protege. 
He says, Tim, I give thanks to, to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he has considered me faithful. He appointed me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer. And I just wasn't just a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance, out of unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So God is so gracious to us in the midst, this is amazing, in the midst of our pride, our arrogance, our ignorance, those things can all be forgiven. Now the Pharisees, last week they had not committed the unforgivable sin when they blasphemed Jesus. They did not. But out of ignorance, they came dangerously close to blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus warns them today. In verse 31, he says, but the blasphemy against the Spirit, guys, that, you're not going to be forgiven for that. So what exactly is Jesus talking about here? What is this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Pretty important question. We want to know what that is so we can stay as far away from it as we possibly can. There's actually two parts to this sin. So the first deals with the scribes and the Pharisees in the first century. The second deals with us today. So let's deal with the passage first, and then we'll deal with the application for us second. Uh, brings us to key point number three. And this is a long one, so please bear with me. For the religious leaders in the first century, blaspheming the Holy Spirit consisted of this a deliberate rejection of Jesus despite seeing his miracles firsthand and then attributing those miracles to Satan. Let me read it one more time. For the religious leaders in Jesus' day, blaspheming the Holy Spirit looks like this. It is a sober, a conscious, a clear-minded, deliberate rejection of Jesus Remember, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Lord. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. A deliberate rejection, despite seeing his miracles firsthand, they didn't stop there. And then they attributed his power to Satan. So, throughout the Old Testament, God's people reject and resist the Holy Spirit in various ways. So this is nothing new. The religious leaders are doing something that has been done over millennia. Uh, there's a man named Stephen. He was the first New Testament martyr. And he gives the history of sin throughout the Old Testament. And he's talking to the Jews. And in Acts 7, he says this. I love Stephen. He says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. Dang, Steve, why don't you tell us how you really feel? uncircumcised heart, your hearts are so hard. You can't hear anything. Your ears are, are, you don't even want to hear the truth. He says, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestors did, you do also. And Stephen was right. So just as the nation of Israel, they killed God's prophets, guess what? They're soon going to kill God's son. So this message of blaspheming the Holy Spirit here, it is so important this morning. Jesus doubles down on it. And he says the same exact thing in verse 32. 
just in case the Pharisees and the scribes, they missed it the first time, which we know that they did. So he says in verse 32, whoever speaks a word against the son of man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. So let's, let's take this verse apart here. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man. The Son of Man, that's one of Jesus' titles. Jesus has over 150 titles and separate designations in Scripture. Um, each one of those titles is very important. It reveals who G Jesus is. The Son of Man, however, is Jesus' favorite title for himself. He calls himself the Son of Man more times than any other title. It refers to Jesus' humanity, yes, but it also refers to his humility as God. It's also a title of his deity. And at the same time, he's fulfilling prophecy. So he is the son of man. So whoever speaks a word against the son of man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Now, why does Jesus say the same thing twice? Well, because he wants the scribes and the Pharisees here to realize what a great privilege it is for them to see his miracles firsthand. Right? And for these guys to... To say that God's healing miracles were of Satan, that is not only unbelief, it is a persistent, it is a determined hardening of their hearts to the very truth that they say they already know and they don't know. These men, think about it, these men have the unbelievable privilege of not reading the evidence. They're not exploring the biblical facts like we do, like most people but they have the special privilege of witnessing God himself minister to sinners firsthand. It's an unbelievable privilege. Many people had heard Jesus teach and preach God's truth as no man had ever taught before, and yet they refused to believe him. Many people had seen Jesus heal every kind of disease and cast out every demon and forgive every kind of sin. And instead of celebrating these kind of miracles, they said that Jesus was a liar, that he's a fraud, that he's a fake, that he's demonic. So the scribes and the Pharisees, they demonstrated this absolute, this permanent refusal to believe. And look, God's not going to make anybody do anything they don't want to do. So what happens when, what happens when someone gets there? Think logically, think rationally with me now, just like we did last week. If someone refuses to believe and attack the Holy Spirit and the scriptures, well, there's nothing else that God can do for them. Therefore, they're going to remain unforgiven, eternally unforgiven. And that's exactly what Jesus says next. Look at verse 32. He says, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the one to come. So this age, that's all of human history, and the age to come refers to eternity. So in other words, the time to believe, it's right now. It's right now. Repent and believe, don't wait. Repent and believe. This is amazing because Jesus really is repeating the same thing that the prophet Isaiah 
along with the other prophets throughout the Old Testament, gave Israel. In Isaiah 5.1, let me show you this. God is speaking through Isaiah, and he says, now I, so this is God, I'm going to sing a song for the one that I love, Israel, the nation of Israel. I'm going to sing a song about my vineyard, God's vineyard. And he says this, my beloved had a vineyard, and it was on a rich and a fertile hill. So God plowed the land. He cleared the stones. He planted it with the best vines. And in the middle, he built a watchtower, and he carved a wine press in the nearby rocks. So God has, has provided everything for the nation of Israel. He's done it all. And then he waited. And he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. But the grapes that grew, they weren't sweet. They were bitter. They're angry grapes. Verse 3, now you people of Jerusalem and Judah, God says, you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have already done? When I expected sweet grapes, why? 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 Why did my people become bitter? Why did my vineyard produce bitter grapes? So the scribes and the Pharisees, they had been blessed with every, every blessing. They had every opportunity to be sweet grapes, but they turned their backs on God. They became bitter. And when you continually turn your back on God and you attack him, there comes a point when there's nothing left for God to do but to turn his back on them. And that's precisely what Jesus did here. So the scribes and the Pharisees, they cut themselves off from God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. Key point number four, people don't want Jesus's forgiveness because they don't think they need forgiveness. People don't want Jesus's forgiveness because they don't think they need it. So, in the immediate context of our passage today, that the unforgivable sin is Jesus' response to the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Scribes and the Pharisees, they represent the leadership of the nation of Israel. And what they told Jesus is, thanks, no thanks, we don't need you, Jesus. So this is a, what we're seeing here is a national rejection of Jesus to be Israel's Savior, now look, Jesus means what he says. There are both present and eternal consequences to rejecting God's son for salvation. So, some of the scribes and some of the Pharisees were young men. And they were a part of the devastation and the consequences that followed. Within 40 years, God destroys Jerusalem. He brings down the temple he did away with the priesthood and, and the entire Old, Te Old Testament sacrificial system. So basically, everything that the scribes and the Pharisees loved about their religion, everything that they loved about it, what God do? He destroyed it. He took it away. And God used Rome, of all people, to make his point. A pagan nation. Wow. Where have we seen that before? 
God uses pagan nations all the time to punish his people. And this is awful, guys. In the first century, the Romans slaughtered over one million people. They obliterated thousands of villages and towns. So in other words, God's chosen people, once again, they said no to God and God responded, fine. If you don't want my son, I've got nothing for you. I can't help you. So the big question for us this morning is whether or not we, can we commit the unforgivable sin? Today, this sin of blasphemy, this idea of being defiant, this, this, this concept of being irreverent towards God, um, man, it is just more common than ever. Our technology has sped the, sped the way um, and really led the way in that. We live in a culture that constantly, unashamedly blasphemes the name of God the Father and God the Son. This sin of blasphemy, this defiant irreverence, we see it in our movies, in our TV shows, books, magazines, whatever, social media. And here's the irony, right? The, the irony is that certain words are still censored on television, but the blasphemy against an infinite Right? And a thrice holy God, that's okay. We can still do that. Regardless of what the world does, though, guys, God still takes the, the sin of blasphemy very, very seriously. Remember the third commandment here, Exodus 27. He says, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Why is that? Because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Leviticus 19.12, do not swear falsely by my name. Don't profane the name of the Lord your God. In other words, don't defile it. Don't pollute it. So let me give you some examples of modern day blasphemy. Number one, cursing God. Cursing God. This is when we, we try to bring harm to God. This is where we denounce God. Uh, cursing God is, is using offensive and, and vulgar language against God. It's to bring evil against God. Now, why would we curse God? Why would we do that? Remember Job's wife? Curse God and, and die. You think she was a little bit bitter? You think she's just a little bit mad? Yeah, anger is probably the number one on why we would do this. Many, many times we have created plans for ourselves and those plans aren't just, they're not working out. Many people have been taught the prosperity gospel. God wants me happy. He wants me healthy. He, health, he, he wants me wealthy. Well, if that's the case, man, why am I angry, unhealthy, and broke? Why? If you believe that this morning, if you believe that God wants you healthy, wealthy, and happy, and you're not, first and foremost, please know that that's a lie straight from hell. But the questions that, that run through our mind is, wait a second, if I'm not happy, healthy, and wealthy, does God not love me? 
Do, do I not have enough faith like the preacher man says? Wait a second. If I'm not healthy, wealthy, and, and happy, am I not even saved? See what that doctrine does? Man, it's a spiral, and you, you'll start spiraling out of control very, very quickly. See, people blaspheme God because God is not blessing their plan. And then they refuse to get on God's plan. People blaspheme and curse God because they think that God has failed them. So that's number one, cursing God. So we move, number two, from a curse to cursing. So the second example of a modern day blasphemy against the Father and the Son is this, taking God's name in vain. People say, OMG, OMG, oh my God. I was, I was walking my, uh, my pups a couple weeks ago, and there's this guy through the neighborhood, and there's this guy leaning up against his car, and he must have said OMG three times in 30 seconds. It's out of ignorance. He, he just doesn't know. Obviously, taking the name of Jesus Christ in vain. People blaspheme God's name without thinking, and here's the thing with this. This is why it's number three on God's top 10 list. God's name is holy. It is different. It's not used casually, let alone disrespectfully. So because we've all done this, right? We've all disrespected God somehow. We've all used his holy, his precious name flippantly. We've either taken his name in vain, we've insulted the Lord, or maybe we've assaulted the Lord. We, we, we're coming at him because we're so mad. We all need to ask for forgiveness for this, all of us. How is that done? Scripture tells us, Psalm 25, 11, Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive my sin, forgive my iniquity, for it is immense. Have you ever thought about your sin being immense? Our, our sin towers Mount Everest. Every single one of us. And yet, because of Jesus' perfect life, his substitutionary death, it's amazing, isn't it? That God the Father has promised to forgive us when we repent and when we believe. That empty grave that we talk about so much, that is the proof of the Father's acceptance for our, our sins. So that's good news. But what about specifically blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Can we do that today? Father, we can blaspheme the Father. I wouldn't recommend it. Or the Son. Wouldn't recommend that either. But can we blaspheme the Holy Spirit today? The answer is yes and no. Don't you love when people do that? Yes, an unbeliever can certainly commit the unforgivable sin. No, a born-again believer cannot. Here's what I mean. People who fear that they've committed the unforgivable sin, the, this blasphemous sin, the unpardonable sin, prove that they have not. So in other words, if you have committed the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, 
you don't care about the state of your soul because you've already passed the point of no return. See, today's blasphemer has heard the gospel proclaimed with purity and passion and precision and and power. Today's blasphemer has watched Christians live transformative lives. They've seen the power of God working through people. And yet, he still hates Jesus. He still hates the gospel. He still hates all things holy and righteous and good. And then it doesn't stop there. And then, and this this is pivotal, he says the whole thing is filled with evil. The gospel, Jesus, God, it's all wickedness and deceit. Once again, he does what the scribes and the Pharisees do. He contributes everything to the power of Satan. So today's blasphemer, here's the gospel message, understands it, absolutely. But not only despises it, he goes on to attack it. So think about some of the famous atheists of our day. I think those guys would fit into this category. They, they write the books, they speak at conferences, they, they peddle the stuff on their podcasts. They attack the gospel. And what they do, here's the key, once again, of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, they call good evil and evil good. Key point number five for us, it's not easy to commit the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's what's so unique about it. It is not easy to commit the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. You've got you to work at it. You've got to go well out of your way to do so. So, if you're a Christian here this morning, you are kept by God's power. You cannot commit the unforgivable sin. Unbelievers who fear this sin, they're not going to commit it either. Right? If they had... They would be proud, they would be smug, they they wouldn't be fearful of this. They wouldn't even ask the question. However, there is an additional unforgivable sin that we need to mention today. And that is just the, the rejection of the gospel. The rejection of God the Father, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, And we all know rejecting the gospel, that's way easier than blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who bears witness to Christ, right? It is He who convicts us as lost sinners. However, if the lost sinner hears the gospel, he rejects the evidence. There is also nothing else that God the Father can do for him. So ultimately, this passage today, it's not so much about committing the unforgivable sin but rather what happens when you do. When when someone goes out of their way to blaspheme or reject the gospel message, there are eternal consequences to those decisions, guys. And that's why Jesus says the same thing twice in two verses. What are those consequences? Well, once again, Jesus the Christ, he is not only Lord He's not only the savior of the world. He's not only a king or a high priest who has atoned for our sin. He is also our judge. He's our judge. So for those of us who have been chosen and called by God to believe, your life has already been judged, right? Your sins have been transferred to the cross and then his righteousness, Jesus's righteousness has been transferred to you. You believe in the gospel, 
You have confessed your sins. And, and here's the other thing. If we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, we actually obey the word and we do it joyfully. The proof in our life is that there is fruit in our life through this joyful obedience of what God says in his, in his word. So yes, Jesus has lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death, which means he got the raw end of that deal, right? He traded his life for yours. And what, what do you have to offer? What do I have to offer? A whole lot of nothing. So it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we have been saved. We have done nothing to deserve salvation. Nothing. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. But those people who refuse to believe this message, who think that they're good people, who think they're going to stand in front of God as a judge, or Jesus as a judge, and tell him what to do, they, they are in for an unfortunate conversation that has an eternal consequence. So Jesus will judge them as guilty, just as, as, as Jesus has judged our sin as guilty. And that's why it's so important for us today as we, we leave this morning, for us to fulfill the great commission, to share Jesus day by day. Now, we only got through two verses today, but we still completed our mission, right? Right? Our mission of experiencing God verse by verse. And now it's our job to go share this message with people day by day. Father in heaven, thank you for explaining to us this difficult passage. Thank you for sharing with us uh, the importance of what it looks like for Jesus to be the judge. Thank you for the importance of us understanding that we don't need to fear the things of this world. We need to fear you. Fearing God is the beginning of all wisdom. So we praise you for that. And Father, this week as we go to our jobs, go to the grocery store, go to our small groups, as we talk with our neighbors, Lord, we pray for spiritual eyes and ears to share this gospel message with the Verde Valley. And we pray that the gospel spreads quickly through the Verde Valley this week. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen, amen and amen.